0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm Harmony and I'm here with Russell Case. And today we want to talk a little bit about the mind and yoga and alternate states of reality and consciousness and What brought us kind of to this moment of thinking about these kinds of things is we were watching The Midnight Gospel, which maybe some of you have seen. It's a new release on Netflix. I think it was released back in April this year. And it's a really interesting um, kind of, uh, I guess, animated series that's based on uh this little character doing these um what are they called? Um like cybercasts or
1: yeah so it's a it's a professional comedian um who did a a number of podcasts.
0: Duncan Trussell, right? Duncan
1: Trussell, who's a stand-up comedian. He did a number of podcasts and he interviewed all of his friends. And very much very similar to what we're doing, where we're just kind of starting out, interviewing all of our friends. And at a certain point, he met an animator, and they said, "Let's let's animate the episodes and to kind of help articulate what they're about." And I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I feel like that's we're seventeen episodes in. Uh, who knows when this one will be released? But you know, there's. <laughs> I think there's a there's a it, there's always an opportunity for us to kind of self reflect on like what is the show about like this is the this is you're the host of the podcast I, we don't even know what my title is it, like am I color commentator we don't even know
0: you're like the robin to my batman you're like the sidekick
1: or I'm like the shock jock to your jockey <laughs>
0: But, for those of you who haven't seen this um this animated series, I would highly recommend it. It's awesome. It's called the Midnight Gospel and uh, it's created by Pendleton Ward and Duncan Trussell, and it's based on Duncan Trussell's Family Hour podcast. And it's it's really psychedelic. It's really like taking a massive deep dive into into your psyche or into someone's psyche, a deep acid trip of sorts.
1: But always with this kind of notion of trying to find uh, a sense of what is our spiritual. Pursuit. What is our spiritual purpose?
0: Yeah, it's really deeply laced with uh, Buddhist philosophy and, and strict <laughs> and also sort of an a nihilistic kind of sense. It's it's really fabulous. I love it.
1: It's great for kids. Our child. Uh,
0: he also loves it, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah,
1: our nine-year-old went downstairs and binge-watched it one time when we were watching Hell's Kitchen upstairs. We, <laughs> and, like, we went to Netflix. It's like, I think he's watching a lot of this show by himself. Yeah,
0: yeah. And asking
1: himself deep spiritual questions.
0: Yeah, it's deeply spiritual but also very psychedelic, which kind of brought us to this this episode where – Um, You know, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you've done a lot of interesting substances, mind-altering substances.
1: I would actually say that I haven't done a lot of drugs.
0: Okay, but like, maybe like a little bit.
1: Uh, Certainly, I've done more cocaine per pound (laughs) than most individuals.
0: That doesn't really count, though, because you were in utero. (laughs) I mean, sorry, mom. (laughs) <laughs> um but it's true
1: but it was a lot it was <laughs> a lot of cocaine
0: so but i mean you did like acid and ecstasy and and what are those things called those like bombs or soda pops or they're called
1: something- oh um cherry yeah, cherry f- candy
0: flipping candy flipping candy flipping okay yeah. so um yeah tell us tell us a bit about your experiences because there's this idea i think sometimes i mean as adolescents i i did my own share of i mean i would definitely not say a lot but enough um of hallucinogenics which are very interesting and i think kind of you know, we've talked about this before. Kick the door open to some interesting psychological states, and
1: the door always referring to Aldous Huxley's "The Doors of Perception," and so like that's what Jim Morrison's "The Doors" are named after, and so, uh, so
0: excellent band.
1: You're one of your favorites.
0: One of my favorites, and
1: so kicking that door open is is this notion of of what is it that you're not experiencing. And that's that's actually kind of at the heart of, of my painting career right now is is I'm a trompe l'oeil painter. And so I'm always trying to paint this notion of what is it that you don't see? How can you paint something that you can't see?
0: Right. And can you, I mean, for those of you who don't know what trompe l'oeil painting is, do you want to define Tr- that for us?
1: Trompe is a French word that means to lie. <laughs>
0: so uh, relevant in today's uh, world. It's,
1: it's true. It's literally true. Right,
0: like the Trump card, right? Yeah. It's the card that, that you were hiding.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so the loy means eyes. You're fooling the eye. The oy. Um, I think more interesting than like my psychedelic experiences is really what the heart of, of your show is about. Mm. which is finding harmony, which I, th- which I think the through line is crisis and resolution.
0: Right. Like how do we create that balance? How do we, we bring differences together and meld them into a beautiful uh, compilation?
1: A whole. A whole. How are we made whole?
0: Right. How are we made whole? How do we bring healing within ourselves, harmony, completeness, balance, unity?
1: You're really kind of named well, aren't you?
0: I know. And I didn't yeah. even name myself. You know, people always ask me, oh, did you name yourself or is that your real name? And it it is my real name for those of you listening. That, that's the name given to me by my parents.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. They your were mom, hippies.
1: Your mom had a kind of moment of resolution after you were born. A
0: mystical experience. And the
1: room was flooded suddenly with harmony. She, This is the name of my child. That's true. It's interesting because my mom was high on opium when I was conceived and had a kind of mystical experience of Jesus coming to the room and uh, that she knew immediately she was pregnant when that happened.
0: Yeah, Your mom's so interesting.
1: It's maybe a, another episode.
0: We should get her on the podcast. She
1: really should, actually.
0: That would be fun. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: so I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this in kind of relationship to – um notions of like the the dao de Jing and and the yin yang and and the kind of resolution and conflict and how this is also a through line through chinese art and that when you look at chinese pottery the next time that you're in a in a in a museum go look at the chinese art section and you'll see that in chinese pottery and in chinese landscape painting that in each mark you're going to see a a sharp edge and then a curved edge you're going to see a a point and then a curve and and that there's always a kind of a notion of a masculine and a feminine uh uh yoked together
0: like the hard and the soft the
1: hard and the soft
0: you're going to see that
1: throughout two thousand years of chinese pottery that they were um that they felt that this was the substance in which you made art with.
0: I think I mean that's what really what drew me personally to Buddhism and and Chinese culture and Taoism and their whole philosophy was this idea of the union of opposites that within everything is the is held the seed of its opposite, and I think mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful. Concept And they never have like their whole idea of balance and beauty and harmony, as you say, is this idea of the feng shui, right? Mm -hmm. The mountain with the the water, the hard and the soft, the flowing and the solid.
1: And the word for Chinese landscape painting is san shui, which is mountain and water, which is this notion that a landscape isn't complete when you're painting it. Unless it has both elements,
0: mm-hmm. and that's that's really beautiful. It's like this balance of the the masculine, the feminine, or the the strength with the softness. And I mm-hmm. think that's really what we're trying to achieve in yoga. Right? Is this mm-hmm. balance of opposites, this union of the two? How can we have both effort and ease, hardness and softness, strength mm-hmm. but flexibility? And it's a beautiful sort of marriage between these two opposites. And it's not just a concept. We start to feel this yoking of the two within our own bodies, within our own minds. And when you can start to yoke those two opposites within yourself, you start to understand reality as a totality, as a wholeness, as a picture that's that's full and complete, and mm-hmm. you understand that you can't have one without the other.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to that point, I th- I think about um, two different events that happened in my life that are kind of a a dusk and dawn. Uh, Dawn's your middle name, by the way.
0: Dawn is my middle name. It yeah. is, yes. We were, the rising of the sun, the breaking c- of the day. We're
1: celebrating our anniversary today, and there's a kind of a we, – we when we were recording, we were always kind of thinking about the dusk and the dawn kind of melding together, and that was a kind of uh, romantic notion for us when we were kind of flirting with each other.
0: Yeah, but interestingly enough, they're very auspicious times of the day, especially in India, and Indian uh, mythology, philosophy way of seeing the world. The dusk and the dawn, these, these points of transition are actually points uh, where the veil between the other world and this world become very thin thin. Mm-hmm. And so you're more connected to the spirit world at these times of the day, the dawn and the dusk, because of this transition time. So there are points in our our literal experience of the world where we actually are more open and more receptive and, and even these sort of spirit guides or spirit energies can come and influence us more directly, more potently, more powerfully. So they're very powerful times of the day as well. (sighs)
1: So, yeah, that's, that's exactly what happened is something kind of broke in and each, and each of these days. The first one was in 1992 in Chicago at dusk with my brother in his apartment. And the second one was in South Korea in 1998 at dawn. Uh, I was by myself. And both of those moments for me um, are the crisis and the resolution of uh, of the main threshold events that I think of when I think about the evolution of my consciousness hmm. are these two things that these sounds... two these two events, periods or moments,
0: Wow, tell us more about them. They sound very intriguing, <sighs> powerful
1: well. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm. I always kind of hesitate to talk about them because it's like, how do you, how can you adequately describe an experience to someone else? And
0: it's difficult. I've had many different mind-altering experiences, and it's almost impossible to really like put them into words. But you can try. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Don't be shy now come on so
1: okay so i'm I was seventeen and I had just spent a summer with my dad as apprenticing as a mechanic and uh i was on my I, I I was on my way home to New Orleans and I stopped through Chicago to see my brother at his house and uh he was he was studying at the time at University of Chicago uh with his friends and um there was a lot of drugs around in that little, that little house. And David kind of, you know, ushered me through the door and, you know, got me going right away. And so I'd been kind of high for a number of days in a row from, like from dusk, from dawn till dusk. That sounds very dangerous. It was, well, I mean, it was, you know, it was like, it was college life. You okay. could say, um, um, Towards the end of my weekend, my long weekend, my lost weekend, um, <laughs> David um, brought out some acid. and I said, "You know, before you go back to New Orleans, I think maybe we should maybe we should trip together." And I said, well, "That sounds great. Let's do that."
0: It wasn't your first time.
1: No, no, not by any means. Um, and I was, I was totally up for it. And so we dropped um, towards the end of the, the end of the afternoon into dusk, and we had intended to spending the the night together. And we knew that we were up, we were going to be up all, you know, 12 hours and we were going to be up for it. Um, we we're going to do it together. It was going to be a kind of, um, bonding, bonding. And it, it was,
0: um,
1: and so we started tripping as it turned out, David gave me three hits, um, which was normal for us to try and take more than you should.
0: <laughs> and what
1: I didn't realize and what, he had forgotten is that they were triple, triple dipped.
0: Ooh, that doesn't so, sound good.
1: Well, so it was actually nine hits of acid. Yeah,
0: that's too much. It, I mean, maybe unless you're like Ram Dass and, uh, Nim Karoli Baba, the Maharaj, maybe it's okay.
1: Well, what rich Ram Dass is was Richard Alpert. And what he would do is he would, he would, um, take a jar of mayonnaise and infuse it with LSD. And he would sit there and watch, television and just spoon feed acid to himself in you know
0: yeah I know he has quite the quite the LSD background with Timothy Leary and the yeah. whole culture.
1: Well that was that was the culture I was in.
0: <laughs> kind of <laughs> <laughs> so
1: that was what that there there's a wonderful um oh I forget the name of it. I should really pull it up but there's a, a wonderful um, history of LSD and it talks about the these sorts of activities that they would do um so david and i were starting to peak which just takes about an hour and a half two hours and we were playing games with each other and one of the games we would play is we would try to affect each other's hallucinations and so i would point to a tree and say hey david do you see the lizards moving in in the tree and he would look over the tree and say, Oh yeah, I do. Oh cool. Nice one. Mm -hmm. And he would look over at me and he'd say, Oh, do you see the, like the lines of color rippling off of your body? And I would look down at myself and say, Oh yeah, I do. I see lines of color rippling off my body. And I I would say, now they're red, David. He said, yeah, now they're red. Mm -hmm. And then I would say blue. And then lines of rippling color would just ripple off of our bodies.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it was really very tripped out. And then another thing that we would do, we would take um, this thing called uh, hippie crack. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's when, you, when you're when you really dosing hard on acid, you'd then uh, take a nitrous balloon. Right. Which is, which is a kind of way to totally-
0: It's like laughing gas, right? It's
1: laughing gas, and it's a way of totally-
0: Going over the edge.
1: It's yeah, totally yeah. going over the edge. Totally deconstructing your sense of embodiment. <laughs> yeah. And so, have you ever, have you ever heard a like a Jimi Hendrix like a wawa pedal?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So normally you just hear that with your ears.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, with laughing gas on acid, you don't just have one sense experiencing the wawa wah pedal. You have every sense, mm,
0: taste,
1: I, touch, sound, sight. Everything that you are is a wah pedal.
0: I can relate to this experience. I've I've had that. It makes me throw up.
1: Oh, not, it doesn't take much to make you throw up.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, I'm familiar with that feeling. So... <laughs>
1: Towards the end of the night, like around four p m we've we've had a really nice time together, and David says, "You know well, we should maybe you know tie one off and and get the bong out." <laughs> so David gets the bong out, and we start inhaling a huge uh three foot canisters of of marijuana.
0: This sounds like a nightmare.
1: Well, something broke in me.
0: (laughs) No shit.
1: And it's this thing that, it's the thing that when someone talks about breaking the door of perception over, I really think back on this event and of this moment in my life where the thing really totally fucking broke.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And so I, I remember... I remember inhaling, and so there's this, this, this sensation with acid where everything kind of blanches and your eyes get really dilated, and so every surface is a little pastel and lightly colored, and there aren't very dark shadows anymore. And so I remember inhaling the smoke, and then suddenly like a, a thunderous train went by the window really loud, and really very violent. And I remember feeling shook by it as a kind of sense of darkness went through me. And I looked over at David, and I was concerned suddenly. And David was looking back at me, and we were sitting on a couch together in the living room. It's four in the morning. And I remember just... My eyes just moving slightly to the right. And like a puzzle piece was say you're sitting right there, you're sitting here on the bed, and you're sitting, if you're listening to this in Radioland, imagine a puzzle piece of reality superimposed on whatever it is you're looking at, and that puzzle piece of reality, say the TV and the wall and the mirror and the ceiling, just moving and shifting away. And then I, at that moment, realized that there was no substance to reality and that it was, it was, um, there was nothing to hold on to. Hmm. And so I reached over and I tried to hold on to my brother Yeah. and he kind of looked at me and said, are you okay? And I was no longer capable of speech. Mm-hmm. And the thing about having one, a psychotic episode and that's the original term. You learn this in the kind of the, the LSD history, that the original term for psycho psychedelic is not psychedelic. It's psychomimetic because the psychologists who were studying the effects of LSD were realizing that that what LSD did was mimic states of psychoses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and that's what started happening for me. Is that I was in a psychotic break and I could no longer speak for myself.
0: In mm-hmm. I- there. <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: I just held on to David and eventually he decided to move us into the bedroom and we could both lie down. And as we lay down, I started going through what they very when people have told me about DMT
0: mm-hmm. or
1: ayahuasca. Yeah. That started happening where I was going through many different other worlds. Mm-hmm and i was living in those worlds.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And And there's a sense of timelessness. So for example, you know how 2020 has been a fucking nightmare.
0: <laughs> it's been interesting.
1: There's the covid, there's the Donald Trump, there's
0: um <laughs> He's been with us. There's for been a while. the
1: total injustice. And think about how long this period of time has lasted. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Well I was experiencing that kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. So for example, I remember looking around and finding myself in like a the seventh hell of, of uh human bodies hanging by their nostrils from spikes.
0: Yikes. Not Dante's like Inferno.
1: Dante's Inferno, kind of. You're
0: moving through li- levels of hell.
1: Big trouble in Little China, right? Kind of <laughs> hellscape, and so I'm I'm hanging there by my nostrils on spikes, and a part of me is still there, in to that this day, to the in this timeless space. Okay. And then there were other rooms and there were other sorts of abuses happening mm-hmm. until several hours later. But for me, it was months and years were going by.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm with you.
1: And then day, and then I finally kind of came out of it and David took me to a cafe. And from that point onward for a, a long time, I was really n- not comfortable around sharp objects. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had I had a- abused myself. Yeah. Mentally. Yeah. So severely that I had, was experiencing post traumatic se- uh stress syndrome from what I had just done to myself and my own consciousness. Mentally. Mentally.
0: Metaphorically.
1: It was real. Yeah. There's no metaphor about it. <laughs> yeah. this These things had happened.
0: Yeah. The spirit realm, it's powerful.
1: I don't believe that.
0: I know you don't believe in the spirit realm, but I do. And I think it's powerful.
1: What I thought was that my mind went into a psychotic state and then started, you know, you know, kind of screaming at me.
0: Maybe, or maybe the spirits were tormenting you. Who knows?
1: I felt that it it awakened in me an understanding of how much visceral fear I'd been living with my whole life.
0: That's interesting.
1: Because, you know, for example, you know, I I cut off my nose when I was a child.
0: Yes, by accident.
1: Well, that's what I was experiencing in this mental state of this trip. Yeah. Was my nose being cut off. Yeah. I was hanging by spikes from my nostrils.
0: Right, you could feel like that trauma existing in your body and that's how it it uh manifested for you yeah. in in imagery. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So that's 1993 or maybe a demon was just torturing you. I don't know.
1: And then so for the next year, what I did, things really shifted for me. Um, I took a job at a restaurant where I would just do the dishes on Friday and Saturday night. And then I would go to school and I'd come home from school and I would go and paint. And then I would work on Friday and Saturday night. And then a year went by where I kind of hadn't really seen anyone or talked to anyone or dated anyone. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I was just kind of living with my parents and like no longer being like the kind of Lothario that I'd been kind of in high school, but just kind of like, that's where I was. That's what I was doing.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I went to art school and kind of went through that process in art school for years of just trying to figure out what's inside of your mental state and then expressing it, which was really helpful because what I was expressing was fear and violence in in my emotional state and i was working that out in my painting in 1997 98 i decided to go to south korea and teach english
0: that sounds exciting
1: well i wanted to i wanted to kind of see the world
0: yeah asia is interesting too especially when you're uh, born and raised in north america it's so different
1: well, I definitely learned some things about myself as an American. I learned how like how intrinsically selfish I am. Yeah. And self-interested.
0: Did you pick South Korea or was it uh like designated to you?
1: I had heard that you could go and teach English overseas. And I and my friend Richard Dunham uh had done it and come back. And it seemed like it was a place like where you where it was kind of easy to get chicks. <laughs> and I'd heard that. <laughs> And I wanted to go to Japan. And I applied for the JET program,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which allowed you to go and teach in Japan. I didn't get into that. Right. But I got into Korea.
0: Second best.
1: I thought so. Sure. Not realizing that uh, there were no chicks in Korea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sure there's some chicks, but maybe just not for you.
1: <laughs> they, in 1997, the ladies in Korea were not attracted to horse-faced men. What they were interested in was square-headed men, like Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, I wasn't like that. I had a horse face, and that was my nickname in Korea was uh, Ponyhead. <laughs> I forget what that's called in Korean, but in why Chinese- Why is your
0: face so long? Yeah,
1: Why is my face so long? <laughs> horse walks into a bar, and the bartender says to the horse, hey, why the long face?
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: yeah. So Story my, of your life. Yeah, that was the story of my life. And so here my nose, again, the demon in my life. Um. <laughs> so uh, I'm in Korea. I'm in at this point, I'm about 10 months in. I'm in Seoul, Korea. I've been by myself a lot, which I was very comfortable with for me. I was very comfortable with being by myself being alone, that's where I was happiest. And so I was every day I was going for a walk in the mountains uh, by myself for an hour, and I would sit, and I would do um, i would do sitting meditation up in the mountains. Um, dunsan, they call it in Korean, which is to walk the mountains. So I walk the mountains every day. In the morning, I would do my Shtanga Yoga practice that I'd learned in college, and that was my life there. And then I would go and teach during the middle of the day Um, and that was my only interaction with other human beings.
0: Paradise.
1: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) It was, it was also because there was no, um, I'd finished, there was an English newspaper, Mm -hmm. the Seoul times and the Korea times. I'd read that in about 20 minutes. Yeah. And at this point there was no internet and no bookstores, no English bookstores. Right. And that was it.
0: What a blessing.
1: I found a book on a, a book by Proust, The Remembrance of Things Past.
0: Beautiful. It's
1: 900 pages. It's <laughs> dense. So I'd read about 20 pages of that, maybe actually like 15 pages of that a day. And like that was my only English contact.
0: Don't you miss the good old days?
1: Just to say that I was kind of like getting into a weird kind of mental space,
0: yeah, as we did back then, if you were in a living in a foreign country without English and existing without internet and, and
1: stimulation
0: stimulation, it's no amazing. Girlfriend. It's so weird and alternate reality.
1: it was monastic, yeah. And it was a lot like doing Vipassana. Yeah. Which is to say no eye contact, (laughs) no interaction, except- No
0: physical contact. Except
1: the one or two hours that I was teaching English to Koreans. Right. And then no one else wanted to hang out with me during the day. Yeah. Because I wasn't Korean.
0: Exactly. That's interesting. So- How many months were you there?
1: I was there 12 months.
0: Wow. Vipassana for a year almost.
1: Yeah. So then one day I had this thing happened and it was, it was really, especially now 25 years later, I can better articulate what was happening mm-hmm. and what happened to me. Um, I woke up and I was had to do my yoga practice and as usual, Um I was not excited about it. It was (laughs) it's always been a drag Mm -hmm. to do yoga. Right. And
0: what keeps you at it?
1: Uh who cares? I mean it's just like this thing that I do now. But like then I was I was
0: I think you do it because it makes you feel better, right?
1: Yeah, I think it is something that I have to kind of like brushing your teeth. Like you feel better after you brush your teeth,
0: or showering.
1: It feels better after you shower,
0: right? You feel kind of clean. Yeah, you
1: kind of want to feel like you're working the body.
0: Yeah,
1: and but I would, I still dread it. Of course, I dread it now the same way that I did then. Me too. But I I thought I, so I was, I woke up dreading it, but like that day particularly, dreading it,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and I woke up. And I went up to to do the Dunsan to climb the mountain, and there, where I was, there was this uh, temple called Bonwansa Temple, which is three hundred Buddha Temple. And I went to, I would go and I'd sit in the temple for a while, and then go climb the mountain. I would go sit up at the top of the mountain. And I went into the temple, and I was just so pissy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was so pissy that day. I woke up mad did my practice, didn't like doing the practice, didn't feel better after the practice. Oh. And then I went up to the temple. I went up to the temple and I remember looking to my right and seeing someone bow to the t- in the temple to the Buddha. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to myself, well, that's not where the fucking Buddha is. And then, just like that, everything shifted.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it was like a gust of wind, and I realized, holy shit, I'm in a full-on psychedelic trip. I'm on a full a- on acid trip right now. I knew it immediately.
0: Was it like a flashback?
1: I guess that's what they call a flashback.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I looked around and the first thing that I did was I looked at the rocks and I said, this is where the Buddha is. All of these rocks, these these are bones.
0: Mm-hmm. This
1: is sedimentary rocks. These are the collected calcium and bones of living organisms who that have then been washed by millions of years of water and rain to become pebbles this is me and then i looked up at the sky and i saw the clouds and i said the clouds are water this is the water in my body this is me Hmm. and just like with the acid the, my eye my pupils dilated everything became blanched and i had a sense of this non subjective observation
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i started walking
0: like no sense of i a
1: detached sense of i-ness mhm not a non-inus like full samadhi where there is no time. I was aware that time was flowing, and I was aware that I was walking,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I was very detached from self.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember when it going up a little bit on the mountain, and sitting down for a moment, and and mosquitoes landing on me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I looked down at the mosquito and I saw them feeding on me, and being very happy for them
0: (laughs) happy you could nourish the mosquito
1: yeah yeah and it's never felt that way since (laughs) but in that moment i saw it as this beautiful crystalline structure feeding and i remember being very very pleased
0: Mm.
1: and i have no sense of being itchy either afterward i just got up and started walking up the mountain again and I got to the top of the mountain. There was a lot of Korean people there doing their exercises in the gymnasium because they have gymnasiums at the top of the mountains in Korea. And I'm being very happy with these people who are all up there doing that. And then I had this sense, yeah, this sensation will end when I get down to the bottom of the mountain.
0: Hmm. And I
1: sat there for a while with this sense. And I walked down to the bottom of the mountain and yeah, it was over.
0: Kind of reminds me of that. I think it's a Sufi poem, you know, that says God sleeps in the rocks and moves in the animals and awakens in humans. Mm. Something like that. Mm. Reminds me of that, that experience.
1: What happened for me in that moment is it destroyed my ability to experience boredom. Mm. Whenever I have a moment where I can't use my phone
0: yeah,
1: or I'm not having a conversation with someone,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I say, oh, well, I can always just do that. <laughs> and I'll look at a point, I'll relax my tongue, and then that flow kicks in. Yeah. And I've done a lot of you know work, as you know, like studying the mechanics of the brain or brain waves or the endocrine system or the vagus nerve. You know, talking to Richard also, Richard Freeman helps articulate it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's like, it's a it's a way of understanding this kind of technique, this kind of power. And like, that's what the, breaking the door open and really like fucking stomping it, what that did was, was totally destabilizing. It was a total crisis of self. Mm-hmm but then this moment in korea was this resolution whenever i'm kind of suffering with boredom or whatever i'm in doing in a situation that i can't stand i can always just kind of go there that's a place for me
0: and that place is a place of completeness wholeness how would you describe it
1: it's something to do <laughs> I can just do that, and time will flow, and it's fine. And I can do that as long as you want me to be there.
0: What are you doing in that space?
1: I'm, I'm resting in the purusha.
0: Ah, but is it a space of non-doing then, or doing?
1: It's, it's like, um, it's like when you, it's like what the, what is the arrow doing in the bowstring? <laughs> Arrow is is it doing something or not doing something?
0: It's resting in potential energy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And not, and you know me, not to say that I don't, I'm not like I'm constantly on my phone. I'm or I'm painting or I'm <laughs> doing yoga or I'm exercising or I'm like working on the computer, like, you know, but just but it's like that it's like this it's there though. It's always there. Mm-hmm
0: in the background?
1: Yeah, in the background. Like that's yeah, that thing. Right. Oh, that's all. Okay. My phone's downstairs and I have to wait here for Harmony to to, to get me something. I'll just I'll just do that.
0: I'm always getting you things.
1: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you you told me that um I think you had a poem you said you wanted to read.
0: A poem? Well, kind of this experience reminds me a lot of like, like you were saying, like the Tao or this idea of like, you know, the balancing of things. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, me, I'm always obsessed with the void and the abyss.
1: With death.
0: And death. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that
1: probably shouldn't talk about your mom too much, but your mom is all, always is like, there's something there's interesting thing about your mom is how she always says like, she's ready for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're prepared <laughs> <laughs> as far as one can be prepared, I guess.
1: the <laughs> Terror.
0: <laughs> so it kind of, I think these types of things remind me of, of the Tao. And this flow, this, this—I uh, guess in um, Indian philosophy, it might be called, uh, Ritta. What is that? It's like the cosmic law.
1: Is that in the Yoga Sutras?
0: Um, they do talk about Rattam like as an oh, adjective in the Yoga yeah. Sutras, but Ritta is the cosmic law or the universal sort of way. Mm-hmm. That uh, we're to be in line with. And the Dharma is like how we are personally in line with this cosmic law or flow. Mm-hmm. And so it's very much like the Tao mm-hmm. in a sense. And when you're living your Dharma, when you're living your purpose, mm-hmm. then you're aligned with this Tao, mm-hmm. with this flow, and things go smoothly. hmm you know, so kind of, I don't know. It just it it these this thing brought a poem to my mind. So I'm going to read it. It's chapter sixteen of the Tao Te Ching. Mm. And it says, "Push far enough towards the void. Hold fast enough to quietness. And of the ten thousand things, none but can be worked on by you. I have beheld them." whither they go back. See, all things, howsoever they flourish, return to the root from which they grew. This return to the root is called quietness. Quietness is called submission to fate. What has submitted to fate has become part of the always-so, To know the always so is to be illumined. Not to know it means to go blindly to disaster. He who knows the always so has room in him for everything. He who has room in him for everything is without prejudice. To be without prejudice is to be kingly. To be kingly is to be of heaven. To be of heaven is to be in Tao. Tao is forever, and he that possesses it, though his body ceases, is not destroyed. So I just love that. I think it's so um, beautifully put how we are a part of eternity and how. When we're living in our sovereignty and aligned with our own true purpose or our own uh, choices, our best self, our kingly self, then we are also connected to heaven. We're connected to this eternity. And in that, we can never be destroyed, but we're just part of the movement of this energy, of this flow, of this Tao. And I think it kind of relates to your experience on the mountain.
1: That's incredible, actually. It reminds me of how Richard Freeman described the Yoga Sutras, which can be dry as toast. (laughs) And and it's wonderful like when someone like a real poet describes the same experience.
0: Mm. You know, Rumi describes
1: the same experience. You know, and you know, being in love is like being completely drunk and that the drinking of someone else is, is such a joy. And it's, it's fantastic. And that's a, but it's all, also the difference is that it's not as structured as the yoga sutras. And so the yoga sutras, you know, give us this kind of structured step-by-step illustration of how, how to maintain a yoga practice.
0: Mhm or how to experience yoga, what to focus on, how to kind of enter into that one-pointed focusness and what you might experience once you've entered into that one-pointed focusness.
1: But it but it's poets really that that really
0: embody the experience and
1: articulate it.
0: Yeah.
1: How to do the impossible. How to articulate that impossibility of relating experience from one person to the other.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that idea that when you're a part of the always so or the infinite, right? The mm-hmm. always so, uh, there's room inside you for everything. Mm. And so you're without prejudice. And when you're without prejudice, you're sovereign. You're, you. Accept all things. All things are a part of you. It's really a beautiful kind of uh, illustration with words of what infinity embodies.
1: It sounds like someone who's never had children. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for indulging that story or being being curious or interested in it. It's, uh, it's, it, um yeah I, it's a it's a funny thing trying to describe consciousness when all you have is all these like stupid mechanical processes
0: well i think we we experience consciousness in many different ways and and it's interesting when you've uh had different experiences of the mind and what the mind is and and how the mind and the body, although related, are definitely not the same thing mm-hmm and how do we describe the mind? I mean, that's a question we're still trying to figure out as a species. Mm-hmm. What is this mind? Where does it exist? and what how is- are we a part of it? right? And it's interesting to have these different experiences that uh, you know give us a a sense of how how far and deep and wide the mind goes when Normally, we have a very limited perspective of it.
1: What is mind?
0: What is mind? I think that's that's a good question to maybe just leave people with contemplating: what is mind? Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. is consciousness? Yeah. What are we a part of? What's really going on?
1: Why people be so tall?
0: Why people be so tall? <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony with me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking There's a hard wind in the soil